The following podcast contains adult language and may not be suitable for younger audiences. In this episode of 92i Talks, award-winning journalist and TV personality Katie Couric joins one of America's most acclaimed satirists, Andy Borowitz, for a discussion on the state of the country, the 2016 elections, and much more. The conversation was recorded on May 24th, 2016, in front of a live audience at New York's 92nd Street Y. Does he come a lot? At the 92nd Street Y. Let's hear it for the people at the 92nd Street Y. You know, I've been doing these shows at the Y for a long time, and people always ask me, why do you keep coming back? What is it about the Y? And, you know, the answer is very simple. Coming to the Y helps me keep in touch with what America is thinking. Because, <laughs> um... you know, you can get into your own little bubble, and uh, I think it's important to get out of your comfort zone every now and then and, and keep it real, and that's why I'm here tonight. <laughs> because, you know, if you just, if you look at this audience, this audience looks like America, but <laughs> if you live in Scarsdale. So <laughs> I am very excited to be here tonight. Um, as, as, Susan, as Susan mentioned, I uh, write something called the Borowitz Report. Do we have any Borowitz Report readers here tonight? Oh, we do. I, if, if you're not a Borowitz Report reader, I'm, I'm not sure what you're doing here exactly, but <laughs> just wandered in off the streets on 92 Why? Maybe there'll be a good panel on Israel tonight. I'll just check that out. <laughs> oh, are you in for a disappointment? There'll be none of that, none of that tonight. Uh, but yeah, the Borowitz Report, if you're not familiar with it, is, uh, it is, as Susan mentioned, a fake news column. It's all fake news, totally made up. Uh, but not everybody sees it that way, actually. Um, a, a lot of people who read it, I would say in the millions, actually, uh, from time to time think that these are real news stories and that they're actually factual. And this is actually their main source of news, is the Borowitz Report. And this has been compounded by the fact that the Borowitz Report is often republished by actual legitimate news sites on the internet who also are apparently under the impression that these are true news stories. So uh, before we begin, and we have a lot to talk about tonight, I actually brought with me um, three stories, recent stories from the Borowitz Report uh, that were republished on the internet by prominent news sites. And um, I thought I'd just, they're, they're very short, I thought I would just share them with you. And you tell me if there are any kind of telltale signs uh, that these stories might be made up. Um, put yourself in the, in the shoes of a news editor on the internet. Um, okay, this one needs a little bit of background. This is from earlier this year. I don't know if you remember this story that um, El Chapo Guzman, uh, the, uh, the notorious Mexican drug lord, um, consented to an interview um, with the noted journalist Sean Penn. <laughs> Now you see, this, is this already sounds like a fake news story, so like, how much further can you possibly go with this? 
so he, he consented this interview with Sean Penn, and then shortly thereafter, I think about eight minutes later, uh, the Federales pounced on El Chapo and, and threw him in jail. So shortly afterwards, um, this story was what I reported, and it was, it was picked up uh, by a rather prominent news source. The headline was, ISIS chief abruptly cancels meeting with Sean Penn. <laughs> Sounds legit so far. Read you a little bit of this. Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi, the leader of the terror group known as ISIS, has canceled a long-awaited meeting with the actor Sean Penn, a spokesman for the group announced on Sunday. The spokesman gave no reason for the abrupt cancellation, but said that al-Baghdadi no longer felt that meeting with Penn would be prudent. <laughs> a publicist for the film actor said that he was disappointed by the sudden termination of his appointment with the ISIS chief and noted that Penn had gotten himself outfitted in brand new desert camo attire in preparation for the meeting. For his part, the ISIS spokesman said that al-Baghdadi hoped that Penn would harbor no hard feelings toward him and emphasized that he remained an enormous fan of the actor. <laughs> According to the spokesman, Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi loves all of Sean's films, <laughs> even that one he did with Madonna. Okay. <laughs> fake or not fake, you be the judge. Okay, this story was immediately picked up by the prominent Hollywood website, Deadline.com, and they ran it with a banner, banner headline, and it immediately became the number one most read story on their website. Shortly thereafter, I guess about 15 minutes later, somebody tipped off the editors of Deadline that this was completely made up, and so Deadline then ran a retraction and then that retraction became the most popular story. <laughs> I want to read the retraction for you because I actually think it's so much funnier than the actual story that I just have to share it with you. The understatement is fantastic. A deadline weekend editor. Oh yeah, blame it on the weekend guy. I love that. <laughs> we would never make that mistake Monday through Friday. No way. <laughs> A deadline weekend editor misinterpreted a humorous story posted on the New Yorker website today and filed as a deadline news story a supposed canceled meeting between the head of ISIS and Sean Penn. The story, which was quickly stricken from the site, I love that, stricken, it's almost biblical, <laughs> is quickly stricken from the site, has no basis in truth, and is a regrettable error. Deadline Hollywood apologizes to Mr. Penn. <laughs> what the fuck? Um, excuse me, Deadline Hollywood, what about the chief of ISIS? No apology for him? He didn't come off looking so good, I don't think. All right, you see what I'm dealing with. This one was widely picked up by a lot of news aggregators. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with the concept of news aggregation. Aggregation is sort of a, I guess it's kind of a euphemism for 
being too fucking lazy to write your own news. <laughs> and so you cut and paste news from somewhere else, usually the Borowitz Report. And um, again, see if there's anything in this story that might have tipped you off that it's not true. The headline was, Obama signs executive order relocating Congress to Guantanamo. <laughs> It's so beautiful for me, as a writer, to go to a news portal and see this as the lead story. <laughs> Serious picture of Obama signing an executive order. All right, I, I, just bear with me, this is short. Making good on one of his key campaign promises, <laughs> President Obama signed an executive order on Tuesday relocating the United States Congress to Guantanamo Bay, Cuba. We don't envision doing any renovations to the facility down there. <laughs> the president said, it is ready to house Congress right now. <laughs> Minutes after the president signed the order, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell called it an outrage and grounds for impeachment. But Obama appeared to take such howls of protest in stride. If Congress believes that this executive order is illegal, they can take it up with the Supreme Court, he said. Oh wait, we don't have a Supreme Court. <laughs> All right, one more. Um, if a few weeks ago you happened to be on the internet and you were Googling the words Ben and Carson, um, and first of all, if a few weeks ago you were Googling the name Ben Carson, I think it's time for you to examine the life decisions you have made that led you to do that. Seriously. But anyway, if you were Googling Ben Carson, before you got to even his Wikipedia page, or his resume, or any of that, or bencarsonforpresident.com, the very first thing that came up in all the Google search results was a Borowitz Report story about Ben Carson. And this was so widely shared on so many news sites that actually this website that is devoted to dispelling internet hoaxes called Snopes.com, some of you are familiar with it, had to actually list this story in the headline and then write, false. <laughs> but anyway. If you were Googling Ben Carson, this is what you would have learned. Ben Carson says he has no memory of running for president. <laughs> Retired neurosurgeon Ben Carson stirred controversy on Thursday by saying in a televised interview, that he had no recollection of running for President of the United States. I've been told that I did it, but I find it impossible to believe, he told Sean Hannity of Fox News. I don't think I'd forget a thing like that. Dr. Carson said he had seen photographs and videos of him campaigning for the Republican nomination, but called them the work of an evil person 
who is really good at Photoshop and whatnot. <laughs> Someone is trying to mess with my mind, he said. And when I find out who is doing that, I will make them pay dearly. While Carson insisted that there is no way I ran for president, he did not rule out running for the Republican nomination in the future. I think I'd be really good at it, he said. <laughs> and that's all I got. Thank you very much. Thank you. I just cued my own applause. That was tacky. All I want to say about these instances of fake news being misunderstood and misinterpreted and believed is I think it represents something much deeper that is going on right now, which is that my stories are becoming more plausible. <laughs> and the real news is becoming more idiotic. And so at some point, those two trend lines have crossed. And that's where we are now, and that's where we all find ourselves. And we have a lot to talk about on that theme. And I thought, you know, because of all the confusion that I have sown in my job as a fake journalist, it might be helpful to have a real journalist on the same stage with me tonight. And we tonight are lucky enough, honored actually, to get one of the best, one of the most celebrated. She really requires no introduction whatsoever. Um, but she will come out here in a moment, and she's going to share her reality, and I'm going to share my reality, and then you will decide which one is better, really. I mean, <laughs> maybe we'll have a vote or something, and we'll all decide what is true. It's going to be pretty deep, pretty deep 92Y. So she does require no introduction, but I'll give her a brief one anyway. She's one of my all-time favorite journalists. She has won awards for her work on all three major networks, ABC, CBS, NBC. And she is currently doing great work at Yahoo News. She has just produced a wonderful documentary about gun control and the gun violence called Under the Gun. Let us have a big, warm 92Y welcome for Katie Couric. nice to laugh about this election for a second. Andy, you're so funny, and I don't know whether to laugh or cry about this campaign. I think I've been mostly crying, mm -hmm. um, so it feels good to have a little comic relief. So, I, I mean, when you look at everything that's unfolding, I mean, is it the most insane thing you've ever witnessed? <laughs> I just want to say, could we talk about something more pleasant? Because... <laughs> I really think the election is kind of a downer. I really want to get into it, if we can. No, I, um, you know, it's funny. Uh, it, it's, I, one thing I, I sort of feel like one thing, that laughter is kind of a good thing. There's no question about it. And I actually, if we can achieve one thing tonight, it would be to make people sort of chill a little bit. Because people are really freaking out. And, um, and I don't know why, because there's so many other countries we can move to. And it, it's like, <laughs> you just like start going on, you know, TripAdvisor, and you just find out, like, who knew Andorra is a cool place? I mean, there's all kinds of, so I think a lot of other options. But, you know, um, I, uh, you know, I have thought a little bit about this election, and, and people will come up to me because they, they, you know, 
you know, recognize me from, you know, when I'm like, you know, one of these news portals, like, you know, Google News, or whatever, I'm right there as their lead reporter. And, uh, <laughs> and they'll say, um, they'll say, you know, what, what do you make of all this? And where do you think we're going? And sometimes people are saying, you know, you must be having a ball, just all the material. Um, and I say, yeah, it is, it is so funny. The only other period of history that was this hysterical would be like Germany in the 30s, I think. <laughs> you know, it's like just for the sheer gut-busting laugh riot <laughs> of what's, uh, what's going on. But um, <laughs> I, uh, I think, you know, all the polls show that, um, you know, this tends to be a largely Republican crowd at the Y, but, <laughs> but all, the, all the polls show that, and you have to be objective about this, that regardless of who you're for, I mean, these two candidates, these two presumptive nominees are two of the most disliked, historically disliked candidates in history. And it's... You know, and we just have to be honest that even if you were saying, and I know there are probably a lot of Hillary supporters here, but even they have to acknowledge the reality that Hillary is, has major unfavorables, Trump has major unfavorables. It's basically like the American people, it's like they're turning on Netflix and all the movies have been wiped out except for like two Kate Hudson films. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Is that, is that too cruel? That was really mean. Like it's just Bride Wars <laughs> and then like the straight to video Bride Wars 2 and that's your night. Um, but I mean people are, I mean we have now got, I'm actually interested in the, not so much in these two people, um, I'm really interested in how we got to these two people. Like well, I'm interested in the root causes of this um, and we're going to solve that tonight and fix it. <laughs> I think. Well, why do you think Hillary Clinton is having such a difficult time connecting with people? Do you think it's the way she's covered? Do you think it's the fact that she's been around for so long and people are kind of looking for the next new thing or, you know, the new shiny object? What, what do you think it is? Well... Because I don't think she was always this disliked. Do you? Mm -hmm. um, it depends on who you're talking to. I mean, I think there are people who um, have disliked the Clintons for decades now, and they've, they've had, they're now like, a, they've had a lot of practice at disliking them. <laughs> so if I can you talk to them, you know, some of these people, they, you know, she's been, they've hated her for years. I, well, I know there's been that core group, but it seems to, it I seems don't know, to be building seems to be a little a, like kudzu, right? Yeah, it's growing. Well, couple things, couple things about, about Hillary. One is that Hillary has said recently, in, in sort of a modest way. She's, she said, I'm not a natural politician, which I think makes her career choice fascinating to me. <laughs> like, to me, like, I actually am not a natural ballerina, and <laughs> I have eschewed that line of work. People keep on coming to me and saying, can you do Swan Lake? And I said, no, no, <laughs> not a natural, sorry. This painting a picture I do not want to see, Andy. Exactly. <laughs> see, already my negatives are very high, Katie. It's like if you ask people, do you have confidence in his ability to fix Swan Lake? They say no, he will ruin it. Um, okay, so I mean, I think, I do think there's a problem. Uh, a, she has some natural uh, deficits in terms of connecting with people. And there, you know, people like um, Kate McKinnon on Saturday Night Live have a lot of fun making fun of that. We've had other politicians get elected 
even president without a lot of those skills. But here's my basic feeling about the Clintons. I think the Clintons, as a team, really kind of nailed it in the 90s. Because you had Bill, who I am not the biggest fan of, but I am so I'm told he's extremely charismatic. When I've seen him in a crowd, and people melt, and people love him, and I mean, I went to a fundraiser once, and he sat down at this table, and like all these adults suddenly were like fourth graders. They were in awe of everything he said. And, um, and then you had Hillary, who is this great, brilliant, Yale Law School, behind the scenes strategist, sort of Machiavellian. I don't mean that in a bad way. You have to be like crafty, and she was very smart. And so they were the perfect team, the perfect alignment of, of talents. Now basically, my, my view of them now in their current roles, it's almost like you took a look at the Rolling Stones and you saw them do, say, Jumpin' Jack Flash. And you said, you know what? Mick Jagger, not a front man. <laughs> you go back and play the drums. Charlie Watts, you go up there and shake your ass. <laughs> That's what we got now. We got Charlie Watts. See what I'm saying? They are talented, but they're playing the, they're playing the wrong parts, and by the way, Bill, as the behind-the-scenes strategist, is a fucking disaster. <laughs> He's no good at that job either. So they're just in the wrong roles. And like Bill, half the time, it's like he'll be going there to like cut the ribbon of an elementary school, and some little girl will say something like, where's the bathroom? And he'll say, everyone voted for that fucking crime bill. And you're like, whoa, back <laughs> off. Bill. He's like still trying to defend every, it's like a hair trigger. So it's a fucking mess. <laughs> You're feeling good, Hillary fans? Feeling good? I'm making you feel, I was trying to calm you down. You're dropping uh, a lot of F-bombs here at the 92nd Street Y. I know, I know. That's, we're allowed to do that. You, okay. know, um, <laughs> you, know, you know, we Jews, and I speak to you as a fellow Jew, did you know that Katie Couric is Jewish? She is. She is. She is. Her mom is Jewish. Well, I was raised, I mean, yes. You weren't. According to Hebrew law, I'm Jewish. I was yes. raised a Presbyterian. My mom was Jewish. And I feel very close to all of you. That's right. <laughs> For the record, Hebrew law is the only law in this house, all right? So that's all right. We want more of that. I actually, much like, uh, much like Katie, I was not technically raised Presbyterian, <laughs> but very close, I was raised a Reformed Jew. So, yeah, that's do we have any Reformed Jews in the house? <laughs> Excellent. Some other people who don't know Hebrew, that's great. <laughs> um, okay, so, so I am dropping a lot of F-bombs, but what was my point? My point was... Um, <laughs> that Hillary's that in the wrong Hil role. That, that Hillary's, but you know, we've had, we have had other presidents who have not been great with, I mean, George H.W. Bush, um, he, and I think they're in Remember kind of... Remember the supermarket scanner? That was that bad. That was so awkward. That was bad, where he was like saying, oh, look at there. Yeah, like he had never seen a <laughs> scanner before. He's <laughs> keeping it real. Oh, look at there. That's, oh, that's neat. And uh, <laughs> that just happened. I mean, it really happened. But uh, I love that. But the, the other thing that was great, and we, we talk about this around my house a lot, which is that they did a focus group when George H.W. Bush was running for president. And he... He had a lot of the same problems as Hillary. Like, he was perceived as very kind of wooden. He didn't really connect with people. 
And um, they said, we've got to like get some stuff in your speech, you know, your speeches that show you know, that your message is that you really care about people. So this is how they fixed this. In the middle of one of his speeches, he said, message, I care. <laughs> okay, so, so that's sort of like, you know, it was, you know, sort of the bare minimum. Uh, it did get the message across. But I think, I feel like Hillary, you know, it's, Hillary would much rather be like in the Oval Office, like mapping out some strategy, which she would probably be very good at. She would probably be a very capable president. Unfortunately, we right now are living in an age where all the other stuff that is actually not essential to the job of president is the most important stuff as far as a lot of voters are concerned. And quite frankly, the media keeps on asking questions about everything except the job that they would be doing in the Oval Office, and that just reinforces the problem. I did not swear when I said that. I got very serious. Well, gee, I could take this in many directions. We're going to talk about the media in, in, in a minute. But gee, how much of the negative press about Hillary, and of course we have to talk about Donald Trump. We, we went so to. long without it, though. <laughs> Don't we get credit for that? We did not bring up his name. You know, um, I wonder, I was very, when I was, uh, in 2008, I was anchoring the CBS Evening News, and my radar was constantly up in terms of the way Hillary Clinton would be described. I was really you know, they're acutely aware of sort of unconscious bias or sexism in the copy, and I would talk to the writers about it. And I'm wondering how much of that is behind some, still, still behind some of the negative reception to Hillary Clinton as a candidate. Because, you know, I think about the word shrill. There's no real male counterpart to the word shrill. I guess maybe Howard Dean in 2008. But, Scream. But, you know, yeah. but, but you, you, I, I, I wonder about those undercurrents that we think are gone but still do exist. Well, I think that's totally, totally valid. I mean, I think that, um, and I think it also unfortunately shapes the way somebody like Hillary Clinton has to campaign. Because I think, for example, she, you know, a lot of people will complain about Hillary's perceived hawkishness. And she does tend to be more hawkish than, say, I mean, if you, if you believe what you read about some of the behind-the-scenes uh, conferences in the White House, she's been slightly more um, interested in military intervention. She's pushed Obama more in that direction when she was Secretary of State. But I think it would be very hard in our culture right now for a woman running for president to, get, to be a peace candidate, say, the way Obama was in 2008. I mean, Obama did say things like he would go into Pakistan and take out a terrorist, which he still seems to enjoy doing, from what I can tell. But I mean, he did that very successfully with Osama bin Laden. He did say that he would use that kind of like drones to do that sort of thing. But on the whole, Obama was a peace candidate. I mean, he, his, his whole claim to that election actually was the contrast he drew with Hillary, Hillary had voted for the war in Iraq, and he wasn't in the Senate at that point, but he had opposed it in his, his role in the Illinois State Senate. So it would be hard, I think, for somebody in Hillary Clinton's position to get out there, and, and I, I don't know where she really stands, which I think is another issue with Hillary, and by the way, with Bill, I, I sort of never know if they're just playing me, and that's kind of a concern I have, but something I can overcome, I suppose. But, uh, but I, think it's, I think because of sexism and because of the history of, I mean, I think we've never had a woman president. We've had 
female prime ministers around the world in industrialized countries. I mean, it, it's, we're sort of you know, late to the party here. Uh, I think that it's something, it's, it's definitely for real. It's a real, it's a real thing. I think Obama, what about the, drawing the red line in Syria, though? I think most foreign policy experts sort of see that as one of his biggest foreign policy mistakes, maybe kind of getting ahead of himself in terms of his basic philosophy of non-intervention. The one thing I would say about that is it's not a funny topic. Yeah, okay. All right, sorry. Okay, all right, you're right. But, but I agree. No, I don't no, I agree. know. I just was I mean, thinking I remember, about that in no, I just, terms No, I just heard about this and I realized, you know, I did not do the reading necessary for this interview. <laughs> okay, and, uh, all right, all right. Let's, let's move on to Donald try Trump to get, because you don't have to be prepared to talk about that. Yeah, if we could try to keep this back to personal attacks and swearing, I'll be more comfortable. <laughs> Okay. With the occasional Jewish joke thrown in, <laughs> just to make sure they're listening. You were saying how you're interested in how we got here. Yes. So how did we get to Donald Trump, Andy? Well, I have a theory, it's, and it involves, it, it goes back a few years, but I have given this a lot of thought. Because I'm concerned um, about a process I have seen as the gradual and now horrifying lowering of the bar in terms of our national candidates that we've experienced over the last couple of decades. And I'm not so much concerned about the bar having been lowered enough for Donald Trump to pass under, but I'm concerned about who he may currently be lowering the bar for in 20 years. Um, so I actually, it's so pertinent you brought this up because um, you actually had a front row seat to this bar lowering process because when I was preparing for tonight, I went back over your celebrated 2008 interviews with um, this governor um, from Alaska. Does this ring a bell, any of this? Does it seem familiar? Yeah, I think so. You betcha. Yes, you betcha. I want to say, and this is just, this is, this is just a sidebar. My wife who's here tonight can tell, can tell me this. When there is a piece of video that I fall in love with, I will watch it again and again and again. And your Sarah Palin interviews, they were not only my favorite piece of journalism, I think they're my favorite thing in any genre ever. <laughs> Honestly. I mean, Mozart's symphonies, the Beatles. <laughs> okay, okay. The Sistine Chapel. Okay, okay. Okay, you know where I'm going. Yeah. But there were a couple moments in that, um, and I won't ask you, like, what kind of out-of-body experience you were having. <laughs> as I will, won't, I know you're too discreet to say, but... I mean, there were a couple moments where I could feel the bar precipitously <laughs> lowering. And the two that come to mind, and they were very famous, so it's not like um, I'm into Sarah Palin trivia here, but you asked her that gotcha question, what magazines do you read? <laughs> Which really didn't seem to me like you were trying to cut her lugs out from under her. Like, that seems like a normal thing to ask. And, and, and her response was so, it was the last thing I expected her to say when she said, all of them. <laughs> and I was thinking, all of them? Like, Time, Newsweek, but also Aviation Today. And <laughs> Field like, and Stream. Yeah, but you know, peer review medical journals, you know, <laughs> minimally invasive surgical nursing, I read that. <laughs> but. That was the one moment I could feel the bar, I could feel the bar coming down. 
And, and then the other moment um, was when you asked her to name, besides Roe v. Wade, you said, what is the Supreme Court decision that you disagree with? And she said she'd get back to you. <laughs> First of all, did she ever get back to you? Did she? Are, do you want to check your phone now and yeah. see? Like, did she ever? I think what? she might have. She might have yeah. like, called in. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. I just think at that moment, though, like, I'm sitting there on national TV and somebody says, like, name a Supreme Court decision. Like, I can understand freezing up and having kind of a brain lock, but... Like, you have to pull something out of your ass, like Ali versus Frazier. Just say, <laughs> just something. Brett Scott. You gotta, but getting back to your point about, about like how we got here, like I feel, I feel that there's been a lot of discussion in the media and in think pieces, there's so many think pieces about this, where people talk about the danger of celebrity and like we now have a celebrity culture. That is wrong. We have always had a celebrity culture in this country. We've always voted for famous people. Ulysses S. Grant, famous guy, we voted for him. He had no political experience. Turned out to be a shitty president. <laughs> um, Dwight David Eisenhower, huge celebrity, um, turned out to be a pretty good president, but again, no political experience. And so now people are looking at, like, Donald Trump, um, host of The Apprentice, and they're saying no political experience, but, you know, he could do it. I just want to, like, take a step back and say there is, like, a real difference between hosting a reality show and the landing at Normandy. There's, like, just <laughs> in terms of, like, we have to be a little bit more critical of these things. And it, but it's, I think Donald Trump's, uh, Donald Trump's, the fact that he's even a thing, the fact that he is now this nominee, the fact that he's, like, running well in polls. I think something more specific is going on than, other than that he's really famous. Because Hillary is also really famous. I mean, she was the first lady. She's been, you know, in the spotlight for a long time. I think Donald Trump represents a really specific and ugly strain in American life right now, which is um, he is a master of humiliation. He humiliates people. And we have a culture of humiliation right now. The reality shows, if you look at the successful ones, they're all about people being humiliated. If it's like a singing contest, you have to have an asshole saying, you blow, you know? And if it's like somebody gets voted off the island and the dating shows are all about people getting turned down and humiliated, this is like part of American life now. It's like this bullying Look cult. at the biggest loser, right? The biggest loser. It's, 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 a, it's not just... He's a TV star, because we've, you know, Ronald Reagan was a movie star. He was known for different things. We are now like, the, the debates really became, when they say, well, they're like a reality show, they were specifically about Donald Trump humiliating other people on the stage, usually Jeb Bush, who was like the perfect foil for him. Um, but that, to me, that's what's different. That's what's different this time. It's like, I think people like Sarah Palin really did lower the bar in terms of, and she, granted, the American people ultimately decided she was not acceptable. Um, in fact, she cost that, that, that ticket probably a couple million votes. But she lowered the bar in terms of what was the bare minimum that you had to know and still be considered a possible vice presidential candidate. But Donald Trump has added something new in the mix, which is he will say and do whatever is the most awful thing at any given moment. And rather than that being a disqualifying thing, 
That is what his supporters like the most about him. And why is that? I mean, why, why are people are some people gravitating toward that kind of behavior, that kind of uh, otherness, whether it's Muslims, women, immigrants, you know, um, is it people who feel they're losing their foothold in terms of uh, white working class males? And, and, but it's not just white working class males who seem to be attracted to this. A, why, why don't any of these things seem to stick when he insults sort of people with disabilities or makes these disparaging comments about women or Muslims, whatever? So why, why, why doesn't that seem to matter? And what is it about that that's attracting people? Well, I think, um, I, I think first of all, we don't know yet whether or not it's going to stick. We know that it's enough to win a Republican primary. And that's a big, there's a big difference there. And I will say that if you look at, there was a moment, just to, just to personalize it for a moment, I remember 2008, I worked for Obama, I did some shows for him. I'm generally credited with his victory. Um, <laughs> I mean, that's... I thought I was. Yeah, yeah, with Sarah. We were sort of a tag team. Yeah. Um, but I remember, and, and you know, it's actually, I mean, it, it's sort of nice, you know, we've had a really, so far this election has been just a tremendous shit show, to use an old Yiddish term, and, um, <laughs> and, uh, and it's been really dispiriting, but it's, it's worth remembering that just, you know, in 2008, just eight years ago, um, when Obama was elected, if you were somebody who liked Barack Obama, which my, my wife and I did, the moment that he, that night that he won, and there was that huge gathering in Chicago, and people were, Oprah was in tears, and it was like just very emotional, and we're all watching this. I was really happy for about five minutes, and then I turned to my wife and said, get ready for the biggest racist backlash you have ever witnessed in our history. And unfortunately, unfortunately I was right. And um, Do you think this is part of the racist backlash? It is totally part of the racist backlash. And uh, if you look at the history of the Tea Party and the Koch brothers' financing of the Tea Party, they really laid a very fertile ground here for people sort of getting together and being angry and being angry at, at as you said, other people. And to me, one of the funniest stories of the last few weeks has been this sort of dance of like, would the establishment Republicans embrace Donald Trump? And that's like saying, how on earth will Office Max and Office Depot get along? <laughs> like, there is so little airspace between them because from the moment that, he, that Obama was elected, they were talking about impeaching him and also talking about how he wasn't born here and all this, which had been also part of Donald Trump's thing. So yes, there is anger, yes, there's displacement, Yes, there's economic disenfranchisement. Not everybody who is unemployed in this country automatically wants to kick Mexicans and Muslims out. That's just true. You can be angry and find other solutions to that. And I, I just, I understand like the media, and not everybody in the media, but the media has really tried, they have, they have tried to sort of softball this whole issue of 
Nazis and white supremacists and racists and all these groups who've coalesced around Trump because it's, it's, it's not cool for their brand if they're like alienating swaths of the population. However, um, this is not stuff that needs to be swept under the rug. I mean, to me, it should be the number one topic. It's like, it's not, you can't say about somebody, like, I just don't believe you can say it about somebody, yeah, he says some Nazi stuff, but, <laughs> I mean, if you met somebody in the office who said one little Nazi thing to you, I guarantee you that is all you would think about every time you saw that dude at the water cooler. You'd say, oh, there's Joe the Nazi. That's what you would, and so like, the media's recovery time from, from Donald Trump saying he wanted to register and round up all the Muslims was so quick. I mean, they got over it really fast. I'm very impressed by that. Um, <laughs> but you but know, I, we were talking about something called disintermediation, where right, too the, many the, syllables for me. Well, <laughs> so the media is so fragmented, and there's so many sources that, you know, Walter Cronkite used to have something called moral authority, where right. he could help kind of be the imprimatur or call out egregious behavior, or talk, you know, speak out against the Vietnam War. Right. And now there really aren't those voices out there, I think, um, that, are, that are making those statements that are standing up for, for kind of on, on the right side of, of this situation. Or who the public would listen to. I mean, here's, this is my, kind of my, my thing that has been, it's been bothering me and so few people have been talking about, although I must say Jim Rutenberg at the New York Times did a really good column about this a few weeks ago. And Nick, I mean, people, Nick Kristoff wrote yeah. about it, yeah. Yeah, I mean, a few, uh, it's been talked about a bit. But this, the specific, what makes this election different in terms of the media's coverage is we're now witnessing the result of the economic collapse of the news industry, which is that because the bottom line at all these media companies is so terrible, they have become totally lackeys to Donald Trump, totally lackeys to him, because they are so eager for ratings and so eager to stay afloat and so eager to do anything. When, when that first Fox debate happened last summer and got like 25 million viewers, that just changed the whole ballgame. That meant that if Donald Trump wanted to call into Morning Joe, they'd immediately put him through. And if, they want, if he wanted to be here or there, they would give him all this airtime. And it has made a huge difference. And the media companies aren't talking about it because it's a disgrace. I mean, it's an absolute disgrace. And, and you know, when I see things like you know, on MSNBC, just to take one example. Now, I know we probably have a lot of MSNBC viewers here, maybe some. Um, I, I don't want, I personally, to me, like, MSNBC is like Fox for vegans. It's just like, <laughs> it's like, same format. But I was, watching MS, I was watching MSNBC a few weeks ago, and I was like, you know, I was leaning forward, and, uh, and, <laughs> And they were doing like this celebrity interview with um, with Melania Trump, who was like, she was like Princess Grace or something. It was like they were, and I have nothing against Melania Trump. I, I you know, she seems like a, a wonderful 
um, Slovenian supermodel. She seems great, but um, but they were. But I felt like you don't interview a woman like that and give her the star treatment when her husband said all this Nazi shit last week. You just don't do that. You stay on the Nazi shit. And here's here's where I think things have changed. And you know we're of the same vintage, so we both remember this. But to me, the election that this election resembles most, and this is sad, is the 1991 gubernatorial election in Louisiana. Because I, there are probably some people here who remember it, others who will Google it when they get home. <laughs> but there you had David Duke, dragon of the Ku Klux Klan, current Donald Trump supporter slash endorser. He, he did endorse Donald Trump a few months ago. David Duke, grand dragon of the Ku Klux Klan, actually won the runoff in Louisiana, was the Republican nominee. Sort of in a Trumpian way, he was not, did not have the support of the party, but he won um, the popular vote with a very Trumpian platform. You can just imagine what that was. And then on the other side was an incredibly unliked guy named former governor Edwin Edwards. Edwin Edwards is like a typical like a stereotype, sleazy Southern politician. Somebody who should be in prison, and in fact, later went to prison. <laughs> um, but during this election, or during a previous election where he was like way ahead, he, this to give you an idea of his character, he said, the only way I'm gonna lose this election is if I'm found in bed with a dead girl or a live boy. So. I remember that. Nice gentleman, nice gentleman. So those were your two choices. Very high negatives, right? A little bit like what we're looking at here. But there was a big difference, which is that the Republican Party in Louisiana and the Republican Party nationally both disavowed David Duke and said, we are having nothing to do with him. We are not going to give him a cent. No one endorsed him. They absolutely denounced him. And some even said, we're going to throw our support to Edwin Edwards. And they did, and Edward Edwards won. We have not seen this collective disgust of Donald Trump among the Republican Party, and that to me really shows how far the Republican Party has fallen and their desperation just to win at all costs. I don't understand. I think in the long run it will be terrible for the Republican Party that this is their standard bearer. I think it will be one of those things that will put all of these people that are endorsing him squarely on the wrong side of history. And maybe that is not comforting now. But someday it may be. And um, so that's, I, I know I've, I've waxed very seriously here, but I do think there is a, there is a, um, there's, there's a precedent for elections where you kind of don't like either person. But in this case, there has been a moral failure to denounce somebody who clearly is unfit, um, just morally unfit to be president. So there you go. There you go. I'll stop being serious. I, I interviewed David Duke back then, uh, and it's one of the best interviews I've ever done. I tried to actually get a copy of it, but I read, I kind of went all Tim Russert on him, and I read his quotes back to him. And I think people, I just started on the Today Show, and they thought, oh, I thought this girl was cute and perky. Why is she being so mean? But, um, you know, Frank Rich wrote me a really nice note after that interview, and it's really one of my proudest moments of what? holding someone's feet to the fire about their, their racist, anti-Semitic views. What, um, what magazines did he say he read? <laughs> like, 
Nazi, I didn't get to that one. Nazi I, today. Yeah. Ironically, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ironically, that question, by the way, was just kind of, I just threw it out there because I needed something to talk to her about while we got, while we got a walking shot. And I think she was so aggravated with me by then that her answer was more out of aggravation oh, than like by the fact that she didn't read. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, um, and yet. <laughs> let, me, let me ask you about the Republicans sort of rallying around Donald Trump. I mm-hmm. mean, it took, what, all of two days for Paul Ryan to come out and say, you know, kumbaya, we're making progress. And you wrote a funny piece called Trump Promises Paul Ryan He'll Sound Slightly Less Like Hitler. Yeah. The fact that that story was not picked up by a news source is shocking. Because that actually, that's sort of what, I mean, that's probably what went down. He's like, yeah, Paul, I can do that for you. No problem. I'm good at that. It's more like Hitler, less like Hitler. I can do that. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I am still trying to get to the point where I can even compute the fact that Paul Ryan is considered somebody you need an endorsement from. I'm still back there. Like, I, you know, it's like, things are moving too quickly for me, Katie. It's like, it's like when Rand Paul said he would run for president, it's like, I am still trying to deal with the fact that Rand Paul is, like, free to roam among us. Like, don't, like, don't scare me. Like, I'm so far behind. I have, but, um, to, I have to ask you, I mean, this is such a layup, but what about Chris Christie's devotion to Donald Trump? <laughs> I'm sorry it's taking me a while. I, I was having a hard time remembering who that was, you know? Chris Christie, yeah. Um, I don't know, you know, that was like, that was so, it was, I've never felt... So you uncomfortable? Know, so uncomfortable, but also so sort of sorry. I never thought I would feel sorry for Chris Christie. <laughs> the, um, twi- the, tw- the tweets were very funny that night when he was standing behind Donald Trump yeah. at Mar-a-Lago. Somebody wrote, can someone please get the Navy SEALs to get in and rescue Chris Christie? <laughs> yeah. Abs- I mean, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's an interesting... I mean, I, I, it was an interesting hodgepodge of endorsements that week because Trump got... Within like 24 hours, got endorsed by Chris Christie and David Duke, and it was like embarrassment of riches. <laughs> like, who do we want to promote more? I mean, unbelievable. On the one hand, you know, I mean, it it is the the sort of group of people around Trump. It's like it is like this crazy sort of you know Big Brother house kind of group of people. You know, from Ted Nugent to Chris Christie. Uh, ben Carson is on board. My favorite thing with Ben Carson. <laughs> what he was, said about Donald Trump, the kind of endorsement, it'll only be four years. What, what's so <laughs> wrong with that? Yeah, it's a nice bedside manner, Ben. You know, it's like we're all feeling great now. Yeah, and I love that also he put Ben Carson in charge of the vice presidential search. Like that was, that was his job. Like this, you know, like Ben Carson, does Ben Carson like, know the names of anybody in the world? Like, who would he put down? Like, I don't know, uh, some of the Egyptian pharaohs, we find someone like that. They were good with that grain. The never, the never Trump people are still desperately trying to figure out if they can get someone to, to launch a third party right. candidacy. 
I interviewed a radio talk show host, Eric Erickson. He's still trying to get Mitt Romney to throw his hat in the ring. That wrote, Mitt Romney <laughs> magic. <laughs> you that wrote, would be so great. You wrote a piece in you wrote a piece entitled, quote, Americans nostalgic for Republican who only wanted to screw over 47% of them. Yes. Yes. Mitt Romney, Mitt Romney now seems like Nelson Mandela. <laughs> Absolutely. I will take I will take Mitt in a minute. I will take him back. You know, Bain Capital can put my whole fucking thing out of business. I don't care. Just let's bring back Mitt. I love Mitt. I'm nostalgic. <laughs> Wasn't he great? Mitt was like, he was nice, like he didn't use bad language on the, he was like such a nice guy. I mean, he did, he just, he just wanted to fuck over 47% of us. That seems, it just seems saintly now. I don't know. I miss him. I miss him. What do you think's gonna happen with the email scandal with Hillary Clinton? With the email scandal? Look, if she already managed to beat that murder rap, I think she's, <laughs> she's not, I mean, she's good. Look, here's my feeling about Hillary. She, she is gonna make history. She's gonna be our first woman president and our first officially, and the first president who killed somebody and got away with it. And that to me is awesome. I want somebody with that kind of smarts. In you the know, White House. I, we can't, we can't, I can't let you go without talking to you about the nice Jewish man from Brooklyn, Bernie Sanders. Bernie Sanders. <laughs> Feel the burn. There's some people feeling the burn here tonight, Andy. I know. It, yeah. So, so is he, you know, someone described him as going through the candidate's stages of grief. Mm -hmm. You know, he's been, he's been through denial, he's got, been through anger, he's now into negotiation, mm -hmm. and pretty soon there's gonna be acceptance. But do you, do you think that, uh, you know, obviously he's tapped into a huge groundswell of enthusiastic supporters, some mm -hmm. of whom are at the Y tonight, I heard. But, but um, you know, at what point is he, is he really damaging her? And as, as this goes on, and now he even said the convention could be messy. We all thought there was gonna be a contested Republican convention. Now it looks like the Democratic one is gonna be the real fun one. You know, when he says the convention will be messy, I think that's just his way of saying, I'm not gonna get dressed nicely for it. <laughs> I mean, it's like. He's not gonna put product in yeah. there. People are taking this stuff out of context. He's just saying, I may run a comb through my hair, probably. If I'm not up there winning, why should I put on a tie? I'm gonna look like shit. I'm really, that's all he's saying. Look, um, I love Bernie. I love Bernie. I, I think, you know, it's funny, my, I keep on referring to my, my wife, but my wife was a reporter in Vermont and she covered him when he was a congressman. They only have one congressman in all of Vermont and then, and then two senators. That's fucked up, but that's the way it is. <laughs> it's like, what? That's not, that's not his fault, it's just yeah. the way it is. Um, but if you think about, I mean, Bernie Sanders is already the biggest winner in this whole thing because he was like, Mayor of Burlington, Vermont, which is, <laughs> represent! <laughs> what? 
Are you from Burlington or was that just a <laughs> unaffiliated impulse control issue? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Burlington, Vermont. Excuse me, we'll get to that in a moment. Burlington, Burlington was mayor, then he was congressman, then he was senator. Because he's a socialist and not a Democrat, he didn't have like, he had to caucus with the Democrats, did not, was not able to get a lot of his stuff through while he was in the Senate, like he wanted to turn us into a communist country. He couldn't get that through. <laughs> and, and I honestly think when he ran, I, I mean, I don't know Bernie Sanders, but I have to believe, you know, he had no money behind him, absolutely very little name recognition. I think he thought he was going to get a lot of attention to some important issues, which are really important, like income inequality, our broken political system, our broken finance system, all that. And I think it went so far beyond what he thought that it's now this tremendous movement and he has all this support and he's, he's so beloved. I think... Kind of like Donald Trump, but without the beloved part. Well, yeah, I mean, he is actually genuinely, um, you know, he's been, a, he's been a force for good. Even if you are a Hillary supporter, you have to say, you can't say, ah, no, income inequality, that's not a problem. It's a, he's done a great job. But if you look at where he is, where he's come from, mayor of Burlington, Vermont, to now he's like selling out arenas, he's like, he's got this huge, you know, millennial base, which as you know, is the most desirable demographic to advertisers. Bernie is just going to kill it. He's going to be like Bieber at this point. <laughs> he's like, if Bernie wants to play Coachella, he can totally do that. So let's hear it for Bernie. Bernie did it. Bernie made, so it doesn't like even, you know, being president on the other hand, we discussed this a little bit backstage, is the worst job in the world. It's like the worst, so like he has, he has probably dodged a bullet. He's gonna have like a great, like he'll have a, a great life as like this messianic figure who will be able to have a lot of, you're saying like who has authority? Bernie has a lot of moral authority right now, he does. I know some people don't love him, but I'm just saying I think he is, if you look over his 40 years in public life, he at least has been consistent on these issues. He hasn't been all over the map, and that is rare. So, he's a winner. He's had a good one. Not a particular, particularly strong record on guns. No, that's true. And actually, I wanted to, I wanted to bring this up because... You don't have to. No, 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 I mentioned your, I mentioned your documentary. It's, it is an issue, and that is, you know, with all these candidates, we, we can look at, you know, there are flaws, um, things that we'd like to be better. And I think a lot of people are gonna deal with that if Hillary winds up being the nominee, which is it looks like, there are gonna be things about her record that are appalling to people as well they should be. But it's just not even close this year. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, people are gonna have to sort of look at this and say, yeah, we cannot elect somebody who has espoused Nazi views. And I am not afraid to use the word Nazi. And people say, oh, he's not a Nazi. You're doing that Godwin's Law thing where you're comparing him to Hitler. He's not, I'm sorry, he's, to me, he's Nazi-ish enough. <laughs> Let's hear it for Katie Couric on that note.
This is, uh, this is the time where I like to take questions, and I will um, take questions on any topic whatsoever. It, it doesn't have to uh, just be about the election, but I, I can talk about anything, as I've, I've shown I talk quite a bit, so. Yes, ma'am. Oh, that's a good question. She uh, has asked, um, she would like to know my opinion on the fate of the Republican Party. Will it um, divide or split? I think the Republican Party will become a wholly owned subsidiary of Trump stakes. I think <laughs> that's what it's going to be. I think Trump stakes will be the umbrella corporation and some stake executive. They've got this really smart guy, John Miller, who works for them, and I think he'll, <laughs> he'll probably be giving orders to them. But no, the, you know what? In a word, um, one of the pleasant things about this whole miserable shit show we're going through is it is really bad for them, and they deserve it. Because as I said, like everything that's been going on in the Republican Party for the last 30 years with the Koch brothers and the Tea Party and all the various iterations of this have completely made their bed. So, it couldn't happen to a nicer group of individuals. Um, yes. Um, oh yeah, I did do a, a story about um, Obama promising. Uh, yeah, that he would. He reassured the Amer American people that um, he was going to take the nuclear codes with him when he left, <laughs> which just seems like a reasonable, like a reasonable, a good idea, actually. But um, I don't think that, mysteriously, that was not, I don't think, picked up by a real, it did get picked up. Oh, it did. Okay, that, maybe, maybe then that one did. You know, there have been so many. I am kind of, at this point, I'm sort of like Reuters, you know, it's like <laughs> the news starts right here. So uh, I, I, lo I lose track of which ones get, uh, get picked up or not, but people were really, yeah, it's funny. Well, there, people do get angry. Um, you know, one thing I really love, I mean, Facebook is infuriating, but it is, it is really funny when, when you'll post something insane, like Obama's going to take the nuclear codes with him. And, and some people will write, of course, like, you know, you know, like, he should, that's impeachable. Like, you know, you know they'll, they'll start becoming a constitutional scholar. I believe that's in violation. But my favorite thing, my favorite thing that people will do, and I'll, I'll see this all the time on Facebook, they'll just, they'll just write skeptically, source. I love that. I just love that. People are always like playing sort of gotcha with me. Like there's, I'm trying to pull something over on them. Um, yes. Uh, Ted Cruz or Paul Ryan. Um, Ted Cruz and Paul Ryan. Or Paul Ryan. I think you throw in two additional horsemen and you got something there. Um, <laughs> I do think so. I guess it's happening in 2020 then. Um, <laughs> Ted Cruz, I mean, that is amazing to me. Ted Cruz is like the most repellent person, not just in politics, but the most repellent person like I've ever seen. And he came in second. I mean, it's really amazing. Yes, sir. Who do you think Walter Trump will pick as his running mate? 
Who do, who do I think Trump will pick as his running mate? Um, uh, you know, I think he'll probably, my guess is, he's, I, I'm serious about this, I think he's gonna try to appeal uh, to women, because I think he's gonna sense that there's some vulnerability there. So, <laughs> I think what's gonna happen, I think the most likely scenario is he will pick like a, some like government official or former official like Arizona, former Arizona governor, Jan Brewer. Funny, I thought this crowd would warm to that suggestion. <laughs> but I think like by Oct October, he'll dump her for somebody hotter. <laughs> um, yeah. Anybody, uh, anybody upstairs? Yes. yes. Wait a minute. You just, you just, wait, 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 go back. First of all, thank you for the, your hysterical part, but then you've never heard of me. You just kind of wandered in, snagged a balcony seat. What, okay, the question is, Okay, the question was, if we have Trump as president, how scary will that be with all of his comments about women? And I want to first of all express my appreciation for adapting that comment into what seems almost like a question. I really, that took some effort. Because as we know, you need that who, what, when, why, how. And you got how right in there. How scary will it be? The answer is very fucking scary. Thank you for that question. Yes. Okay, now this is even more honest. The comment was, okay, I don't have a question, I just want to make a point. You wouldn't be Jewish by any chance, would you? I don't want to stereotype. You're Jewish all the way back. Most of us are, sir, and actually. That's how it works. I've studied Gregor Mendel, you know. Can't help you with that, that word. He's looking for a word. I, I'm like Trump. I have so many words. I have the best words. Wait, you, he would be... Next, okay, your grandfather, I take it. He said, next to my grandfather, if you don't mind, I'm just gonna repeat his comments really till 9.30, so just, it's gonna take a while, but okay, next to your, your grandfather, next to the Pope, your Pope would be an atheist because that's your Jewish background, so I'm taking from that comment that your grandfather was a fairly religious man, okay. Okay, thank you. My comprehension skills are peerless. <laughs> yes, what's, yes? I, 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 I keep hearing everybody say that Ronald Reagan was a movie star. Okay. Ronald Reagan was a cockamamie contract player. 
Okay, just to clarify, does everyone know what it means when something officially jumps the shark? <laughs> Is that a concept? Like, just runs off the rails? Um, okay, so this gentleman's comment, which, um, I'm, I'm now feeling the room is spinning. It, he said, um, he said Ronald, everyone says Ronald Reagan was a movie star, and actually, and I think it's a direct quote, he was a cockamamie contract actor, right? Contract player. So like, for those of you who weren't familiar with the studio system of the 1940s, which was what we're really talking about, because that is pretty much the number one issue of this campaign. <laughs> who is a real movie star and who is just a cockamamie contract player? <laughs> right? Yes, okay, so, we're, wait, no, 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 you got a lot of applause there, so I didn't hear your next comment. What, is, what were you saying? So, contract player, cockamamie. I take back, I take back that relentless stream of ridicule that I heaped upon you. Okay, but thank you. Are you done now? Is that, that was, I've got to say, that would be a good note to end on. That's good, I like that note. You built to it nicely. Your opinion has some meaning? I have a feeling this is not going to end well now. Everybody knows. Um, I'm sorry, sir. I think I think we're at sort of that, you know, talent night at the Apollo moment where we have to now say, no. I I know everyone knows who Mel Brooks is. I want to I want to thank this show. The, the rest of his comments will be available online. <laughs> and let's hear it for the some historical perspective. I take it you know Mel Brooks in some way, right? We were kids together. You were kids together. Okay. Let's do another question. Okay. Sorry. That was good, though. Awesome. Yes? You're talking about Bernie. You're talking about Bernie. By the way, the, any pretense of questions has completely gone now. <laughs> now it's just kind of like a focus group, you know? Okay. Yes, Bernie. Okay, so you liked Bernie at first, but now you think he's terrible because he's, he's hurting Hillary and... Okay. Um, okay. Um, um, so, but in the future, I think that that question <laughs> has to be phrased, how terrible is it? <laughs> you know, it's sort of like having a Seder. We just sort of... They're not really questions. That's like, how is Bernie different from all other Bernies? <laughs> he's terrible to Hillary. That's how he's different. The youngest person says he's terrible to Hillary. <laughs> then we move on. How did Bernie used to be good? <laughs> he was nice to Hillary. <laughs> yes. Do I have to edit a lot or do I get pretty close to my final draft early on? I sense a kind of accusatory tone to that question. 
What you're saying is, do you just put down the first shit that comes to your mind, or do you maybe run it through spell check once just to make sure you didn't? No, I, you know, I, um, I actually, um, I do edit, but I have to write fast because, you know, the problem I have now is that, and we talked about this earlier, is that the news is so surreal that if I don't like strike with something immediately, you know, it's going to happen later in the day. So like, it's like, <laughs> I'm just trying to stay briefly ahead. I mean, I was, I was saying to, to my, we were reading this thing on the way over. I was, I was reading this thing. This, I didn't make this up. It was about Donald Trump praising Kim Jong Un, and it sounded like something that somebody like The Onion or I would have done. It was like. He was saying, he's fantastic, like he killed his uncle and he killed the other guy and he's great, what a great guy. I mean, this was actually, Donald Trump actually said this. I mean, it was real. So given those kind, that pressure that's on me all the time, <laughs> just to try to beat him, you know, to the punch, it's like, I've got to go pretty fast. So if, if, there, if you ever see any typos, that's why. I'm just moving fast. Yes. Where do I, okay, the question is, and it was a serious question, um, and it was good. It was also, and it was stated as a question, which I, <laughs> I appreciated it. You seem to have something that a questioner should have, which is genuine interest in an answer. <laughs> I admire that. I admire that. You know, it's, I, I actually, you know, may, maybe I'm an optimist, um, but I, actually, I, think, I think the Democratic Party, we're at the low point right now. I do think so. Because people forget how acrimonious things were in 2008 between um, Obama and someone else who would not get out of the race, Hillary Clinton. I mean, in a way, it's kind of karma, right? I mean, she stayed in until the bitter end, and she made it as difficult as possible, and now she's seeing what it's like to have, an, you know, to have the same thing happen to her. So, you know, but ultimately, at the end of the day, I don't believe, I mean, I hope I'm right about this. I hope Bernie, Bernie Sanders does not want to turn out to be like Ralph Nader. Like, you don't want to be like the guy who, you know, Ralph Nader is like, used to do some cool stuff, like seatbelts, good idea. Um, but then being an asshole in 2000 and helping elect George W. Bush and get us into Iraq, that kind of, I mean, it doesn't totally nullify the seatbelts, but... You know, I wish he had stopped at the seatbelts, quite frankly. That would have been better. The seatbelts, seatbelts good. So I think Bernie, I think Bernie's a good guy. I do. And I think that he's also right. I think his points about the system being screwed up, the, you know, the superdelegates and all that is right. Although I will say when he would win, like, you know, early on, like New Hampshire, he wasn't complaining about the system then. So, I mean, you have to be... The thing about Bernie Sanders, people forget, is he is also a politician. Like, he's a really good politician. He's not like on some, you know, you know he's not like the Dalai Lama. He's a, he's a really good politician. And we make the mistake of just thinking he's always acting in this kind of, you know, Zen master way. He's, he's got emotions, and he wants to win, and he, he has won quite a bit. 
and he's won a lot of the most recent contests, so he has every reason to say, why would you tell this guy who's like winning all these primaries, yeah, you should just get out? I mean, I understand why Hillary wants him to get out, but I think, I think ultimately, I think if I know Bernie Sanders just from his reputation, I think his dislike of Nazis will prevail. I think, <laughs> I do think so. Do we have anybody else up in the balcony? Anyone else who yeah. never heard of me but just wandered in? Um, who is it? Who is it? Over here, where? There? Okay. Hey, hey. Well, first of all, I don't, good question. The question is, does the racist backlash, it gets Trump this far, but does it get him into the White House? First of all, I do not actually make like predictions of how elections will turn out, because I am not like Nate Silver. And by the way, do you know who else is not Nate Silver? Nate Silver. Um, is that, like this election has been kind of baffling, so I don't, I, one thing I cannot do is like guarantee like the outcome of any of this. I don't think he'll be elected sort of for demographic reasons. Like, I think the Republicans' biggest problem coming out of the 2012 election, when they themselves did their own autopsy of their defeat, they thought the biggest problem they had was insufficient outreach and appeal to Hispanics. <laughs> um, so I think that's probably still a problem, if I had to guess. So I think based, I mean, a lot could happen, but I kind of, in, the, in my heart of hearts, I actually don't think he's going to be elected. That's just my, but I, I wouldn't take that to the bank. But in terms of like where this all goes, um, one of the nice things about American history is that it does, or any history for that matter, is that it doesn't go in a straight line. Like we have had bullies like Trump who've had tremendous amounts of power in the past. For example, you might be familiar with Joseph McCarthy, another very similar figure in the 1950s. We don't tend to go, things get cyclical because we fuck up in identical ways and then correct and then we fuck up in new ways and we correct. Um, I don't honestly think that every, I don't think, I think racism is an enormous problem in this country, but I don't think we're just gonna get more and more and more racist. I think 2008 was still, um, a reason for hope, and I don't mean hope as a, as a campaign slogan. I mean there was something genuinely positive about that. And I'm kind of an optimistic guy, but good question. Okay, yes? What issues do you think could turn into Hillary's downfall? What issues do I think could turn into Hillary's downfall? Every single fucking issue. <laughs> um, all of them, as Sarah Palin would say. Uh, I think, I don't think Hillary's got, I mean, it depends what you mean by issues. I don't think that Hillary, I, I think a lot of her, where she stands politically is in line with a lot of people. Like if you just said to a focus group, do you feel this way about this? And it was a Hillary position. A lot of people would agree with her. She's kind of in the center. She's moved a little bit more to the left because of the challenge from Bernie, which I think has been 
a good thing in terms of things like income inequality and stuff. I think with Hillary, it's all gonna be personal. I think all of her problems are gonna be just like this endless, like, let's return to Clinton scandals and let's like play up her negatives and all that. So it's just, it's just gonna make watching this election incredibly unpleasant. Um, but you already knew that, but I thought I'd answer it anyway. Yes? I hope you can make this question funny, but. Okay, the question is, um, when people are saying horrible, horrible things about killing the president, why do Republicans not say stop? You mean, you mean like Trump's butler, for example? Are you talking about? <laughs> That's just one. Trump's butler, his, his future secretary of state. Uh, <laughs> that guy. <laughs> See, I sort of made that funny. I didn't answer the question, but I'm going to stop right there. Okay. Um, uh, yes. What do, what do I think Elizabeth Warren's role um, will be going forward if the Democrats prevail? I liked your use of the term prevail. That's so sort of triumphal. Um, I don't know. You know, I think, I, to be honest with you, I think Elizabeth Warren should have run for president. I think she would have. I mean, I think, I think she didn't, I think she missed, I think she missed an opportunity because clearly, like, the whole Bernie thing was like there are a lot of people who kind of agree with Elizabeth Warren and it's again, it's sort of a problem we have with, you know, when I talked about like the two Kate Hudson movies, you know, like we have a system now where like one person has all the, all the donors and all the support and so like that kind of freezes everything and so people can't jump in, like you can't challenge Hillary and you can't, so that sort of created the problem but I hope she has a role. I mean, you know, I think she'd be, she'd be good at, um, at fixing stuff. <laughs> I think she'd be good. I mean, I think she'd obviously, she'd like to be, probably like, to, you know, like to have some, some prominent role, although she's got a pretty good role now in the Senate, so who knows, who knows. Yes? Um, do you have any advice to um, aspiring writers? Um, yes, the question is, can I offer any advice to aspiring writers? Um, well, I think, you know, I think I would do something about a whale, because no one's ever done that. That's just like, I think if you wrote a really good book about a whale, that could just like kill. Do you have any experience with whales or am I just like talking out my ass here? No, actually, it's a good question. You know what I would just say? Just, um, don't take advice from jackasses like me. Actually, just just write, just just write. You know, one of the biggest problems writers have is that they talk about writing and then they never do it. And are you writing something now? Okay, because I actually don't see you writing anything right now. <laughs> you just kind of went out to see a show tonight, and like, you know what writers are doing right now? They're fucking writing at home. So my advice is like, get home. This show's almost over. So, you know, I gave you that Ace's Whale idea. You've already got that. Um, I think I even have like 
You know, sometimes it's good if a character at the beginning of a book says what their name is, like, call me something. <laughs> you know, it's like, just like, like, what's your name? Nino? Call me Nino is a killer start. <laughs> call me Nino. Oh my God, there's a fucking whale coming. That's a page turner. I'm not putting that book down. <laughs> Who would buy that book? That, that. <laughs> also, like, if you can get some kind of, like, reference, slang reference to genitalia in the title, that would be awesome, too. I don't know. Prick or something. I don't know. All right. We have got people madly waving there. Are you two together or are you competing? They're helping you. That is so sexist that they're helping you. Like, you should be able to do it on your own. Um, all right, you're going to be the last question, because I see it's 9.30. And, uh, and I, have you had a good time tonight? Has this been good? Yeah. I've had a great time. I'm sorry to see it end. I am so sorry to see it end. But um, I, since you're the last question, not too much responsibility. But I just want to say one thing. In addition to putting your question in question form. <laughs> Who, what, when, why, how. Um, yeah, it's a how question, good. Just my only thought about this question is we have covered a lot of things tonight, and this is the last question. So if this question could somehow <laughs> summarize <laughs> all the issues we've discussed and, and leave us tonight, leaving the 92Y, with a sense that we're seeing the world differently. <laughs> that would be awesome. Okay, so let's, let's, first of all, let's have applause for this questioner, who's very brave. Okay, question. So the question of sorts <laughs> is, I, I got, I'm, I'm with you. I got it. I got it. Let me, let, me, let me contribute something now, if I can. The question is, you read something, which I like already. You have sources. That's good. You read something that talked about Trump's, uh, the length of his sentences, which I guess is brief and his use of short words, and, um, and how is that going to hold up like on stage with Hillary, who presumably speaks in very long sentences <laughs> and uses very long words. Um, the one thing about the length of his words <laughs> and sentences, He has never been criticized for having tiny words or sentences. <laughs> Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for listening. 92Y Talks is supported by a generous endowment established by Daphne Reconati Kaplan and Thomas S. Kaplan. 
You can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and find more great conversations at 92yondemand.org.